Hello and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the anime podcast. This week, we're talking about tech and marketing in the digital age. And to do that, I'm pleased to say I'm joined by two fintech junkies from B2B fintech marketing agency, Foco Global. They are Michael Taggart, CEO and Chief Marketing Officer, Amy Rowe. That rhymed. Good me. Hello to both <laughs> of you. How's it going? Hi, uh, this is Amy. Well, thanks for clarifying that. <laughs> It's uh, really it, great it, to be here. This is also Amy. No, this is Michael. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Um, thanks for that. Off to a sterling start. Um, That's Amy, all we got, by the way. That's it, man. <laughs> We're going to stop now, aren't we? Uh, I was pleased to hear that you listened to our last episode with Dr. Eliza Philby, and moreover, that you're pretty nifty when it comes to the game Who Said That? Um, on this particular topic, um, I was. I certainly knew that you were talking about the Kardashians when you were quoting from the Kardashians, which is slightly embarrassing. Or... Or you could say it's impressive. I'm going to go with impressive. Uh, but the relevance of that is that I thought we'd do a, a quick game of who said that about fintech and technology. Oh, and, Jesus. And so, uh, <laughs> we'll just listen to their reactions. They're absolutely delighted. Um, you know when I said we were going to be able to blag this, Amy? This, this, <laughs> we're not. No. It's a head-to-head. I'll read out some statements, famous oh. quotes from people in that space. I'm going to give you 10 seconds uh, to give me a correct answer. And the person that answers first Gets the point. If well, they get even it if it's wrong. <laughs> even if it's wrong, uh, gets it correct. So let's go for the first one. You'll know who this is. Can we just answer as soon as we think don't, we've got don't it? Don't say stuff like that, because we won't. Answer as soon as you think okay. you've got okay. it. Richard okay. Branson. <laughs> so, so not close. Um, here we go. Think about what people are doing on Redacted today. They keep up with their friends and family, but they're also building Mark an image. Correct. Oh, Michael won. Just for the listeners, I'm throwing my arms in the air now in um, pathetic triumph. Okay. Amy, you need to fight back. Well, I just can't remember his name. <laughs> okay. Number two. Just because something doesn't do what you planned it to do doesn't mean it's useless. Elon Musk. <gasps> the Apple guy. Sorry, I was just saying anything. Elon Musk. Go back. Go, Go back, back before um, Steve Jobs. Uh, really back. Oh. A historical back. Oh. You're not going to get Abraham it. Lincoln. Mm, Thomas Edison. So oh, that, the oh, light. That was actually yeah. lighthouse. Edison lighthouse. Yeah. Lighthouses. Lighthouse family. <laughs> nope. Great band. Yeah. Um, lifted. Uh, next one. Ocean giant. <laughs> Focus. Uh, it has become appallingly obvious that our technology has exceeded our humanity. Who said that? Ten. No. I know now, Stephen Hawking. That sounds right. Space. Like um, the one five. who does all the. Nick Clegg. <laughs> yeah. No, hang on. The one that, that one. everyone fancies that does the programs. Yep. Albert Einstein. No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I don't fancy him. <laughs> I don't do. well, that's a bit out there, though. You said fintech, didn't you? I mean, techno I said technology fintech. Yeah. Should, okay. should we help you with what fintech actually is, Ollie? Yep. We'll cover that. Don't worry. Okay. Next one. Technology is a word that describes something that doesn't work yet. Mm. Ten. I, I actually mm. literally Eight. can't think of Seven. a name of anyone. Six. Gordon Brown. Five. Nope. I'm gonna Four. go with um, David Schwimmer. Two. Douglas Adams. Ooh. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. And great friend to the Pink Floyd guitarist David Gilmour. Fun mm. fact for you there. David Gilmour gifted him an appearance on stage as part of the Division Bell tour in 1996. I'm loving this background. Uh, it's more fun to be a pirate than to join the Navy. Who said that? Jack Black. Think about people you've already mentioned. Ten. Elon Musk. Nine. Uh, jobs. Correct. <laughs> Michael, two. Amy, nil. Come on, Amy. You've got two more. I gave you can, him that. You no, can but get I a did draw. say the Apple guy before you said Steve Jobs. Okay. Let's not fight. 
We're running the most dangerous experiment in history right now, which is to see how much carbon dioxide the atmosphere can handle before there is an environmental catastrophe. Who said that? Oh, Microsoft Ten, guy. Nine. Elon. Yes! Yes, I knew he'd be in there somewhere! <laughs> Excellent. Finally, it's 2-1. The way people save, invest and manage their money is changing. Our model is now becoming a mainstream option for smart investors. Neil Woodford. No, but good answer. 10, 9, 8, 7. Think, think close to this office. It's Vauxhall. 6. Uh, Five. Richard Lander. Four. No. Eight, three. Two. Will Robbins. One. Not real Will Robbins. Someone not as famous as Will Robbins. It's Martin Stead, the CEO of Nutmeg. Oh. Which is a neat segue. You're not going to believe me, but I was going to say Nutmeg guy. Would I have got half a point for that? No. <laughs> Clarity at all times in your answers. But it's over now. So I can report it is a 2-1 win for Michael. What do I win? Um, you win our in eternal respect and adoration. Well, you can't sell that. I can't talk about it for the next hour either, so we're going to have to move on. Okay. Um, we are heading towards November and the end of, end of the year faster than a cheetah that's realised it's left the gas on at home. <laughs> um, what has happened this year in fintech? What's been good? What's been bad? What have you seen? Can I jump in with that, actually? Because Only because it's been... Well, you won, so you can take the first... No, I was hoping a question like that would come up. No, but I mean, for me, I'm just going to... The reason I want to start is because I think you should get the negative stuff out of the way. And then, and then the, the listeners can stop listening with a, a kind of a high energy at the end when Amy makes a really positive point. But it's... I think this time last year, we were hearing loads, and Amy and I were going to conferences and talks. You kept hearing about how Facebook and WhatsApp and Snapchat were suddenly going to get into fintech. And it was, it was mostly to do with open banking. Mm. But they were, because you were using those things already, um, financial services were suddenly going to become democratised because everyone would start managing their finances better because Facebook would be showing you what's going on with your bank account mm. as you logged in. So look, the big disappointment is fairly obvious. It just hasn't happened. And, um, I mean, we could go on for hours about the, you know, the, the bad things that Facebook's done in the last year, but there's a huge lack of trust, I think, in those tools and I wonder if that's partly the reason why people aren't going to hook their bank accounts up to them. Mm. So mm -hmm. I would have liked to have seen it happen and it didn't. So that's that, that for me is the, the downside to what's happened this year. That's really interesting because the people were talking as well about uh, Amazon getting into insurance and underwriting. Yeah. That hasn't happened either. I mean to be fair Amazon hasn't had the same torrid year of bad brand headlines. Did they ever invent helicopters that could fly stuff into your garden either? I remember reading the, that. The drone idea. Yeah, I did mean, that happen? I think they're working on it, but right. I'm sure they're working on something much bigger than that. Yeah, I mean, who knows what Amazon will do next, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a similar thing. There's loads and loads of talk and not a hell of a lot of action from the big, the big companies, the global ones. Mm. Amy, do you have something positive to say on that? Well, <clears throat> no. Um, <laughs> no, but, but it leads somewhere positive. So I think what we, another thing that we have noticed a great deal of is basically market saturation. There's so many of these apps coming onto the market, yeah. um, these money management apps, et cetera, et cetera, um, geared towards consumers being able to manage their money uh, for low cost or, or at least being able to access all their bank accounts and being able to see what was going on through Facebook, et cetera. Mm. For example, Clio, blah, blah, blah. Now, there's so many of them talking to the same people that we're seeing this same old, same old messages, um, trying to talk to millennials. Now, mm. I know you talked about millennials in your last podcast, but just, I mean, that's what, it's a 15-year it's a um, 
there's about 15 years in a millennial. There's all sorts of things you've got to take into account when you're talking to a specific audience like that. Mm. And what I have noticed and what me and Michael talk about is that a lot of these companies are trying to talk to too many people. Um, interestingly, I think the ones that will survive um, and get their heads above the parapet are the ones who don't mind doubling down on talking to a niche audience. So you've yeah. got Starling Bank, who, um, okay, women are 50% of uh, the population, what have you, but they, um, they've made a real kind of effort to speak to, uh, to, to one specific swathe of their audience, which is yeah. women. And mm -hmm. they've done some really interesting things in this last year, and I think you're going to, Basically, in, in 2019, those apps that survive are the ones who aren't afraid to alien, alienate mm. some of their audiences and just go after a very small target. Mm. I think this, re sorry, this relates to a really interesting point from the last episode, which was about sincerity. Mm. And I think when you spread yourself too thinly, mm -hmm. you're at risk of not appearing to be sincere. Yeah, this is something that actually the media have discovered a long time ago. And we always say to companies that we work with, you have to think of yourself as a media company because mm. media companies are good at... Uh, uh, communicating and getting into people's front rooms. Um, and the media, is, is there's literally. loads of niches. So you've got magazines, online magazines, called things like, did I say literally? No, no you said getting into people's front rooms. I, I liked it. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Yes, literally, yeah. Because a TV and a magazine can be in a front room. Thanks, Amy. Um, but um, so th there's magazines called things like Galdem, you know, and it's aimed primarily at people with West Indian parents who live in, in big cities. You know, and this actually is the way that if you've got an investment app, as Amy was saying, if you say, right, we've got this amazing marketing plan in 2019, we're going to go after millennials. It's just too big. It's yeah. too big. And you're not going to be able to twang the heartstrings of any particular niche. So pick nurses in, in, who live in the countryside, you know, or, or pick people who like go-kart racing, but uh, can't afford it. Mm. Sorry, I'm <laughs> just trying to think of <laughs> Give us an example. But do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. think like a media company if, you're, if, if you've got an investment app or a fintech company. I can see it now. You know, the Somerset nurses against virgin privatisation. Or, or other ideas. Once you've got both of them as customers, you can move on to the next <laughs> one. Uh, what we're talking about there, I think, in some senses, is brands. It's been a yeah. bad year for brands. Yeah. Um, just a few case studies for listeners at home. Seen Facebook in the spotlight. Obviously, GDPR, huge issue for them. Uh, congressional uh, testimony. Tesla and Elon Musk. Uh, I mean, some amazing things, some amazing spectacles that he's pulled off, but also some absolutely kind of brand damaging yeah. things that he said and done, uh, the cave in yeah. Thailand, uh, all oh, of wow, that, yeah. you know, smoking on, on, on radio and podcasts. Um, smoking on radio is okay, I'm doing it now actually. <laughs> Can I have a drive? <laughs> yeah. Um, also that's gone wrong, uh, Ryanair, that's a very recent one, Ryanair's just yeah. had an, an awful sort of racism row. We were talking about that on the way in, yeah. so people, you, it's right to say it's damaging people's brands, because we weren't talking about it in, in pre preparation for this, people just are talking about it. Exactly, uh, Lush, spy cop scandal, yeah. KFC ran out of chicken, remember that? Yes. That was a very, uh, very interesting scandal I've involving logistics. Dealt with it chain. brilliantly. Yeah. They did deal with they it did. well. Uh, though not if you're a vegetarian, because yeah, a company like that couldn't deal with it well, regardless of whether they're they not massively tried or not. appealing to vegetarians. There is a company. No, uh, Sainsbury's were in the money. That gaff uh, when they announced the Sainsbury's ASDA merger. The oh CEO yeah, yeah, was uh, yeah. spotted on camera saying we're in the money. Um, and also, it, this wasn't some. I don't want to call it a scandal. Perhaps you might call it a scandal, but high impact branding from Nike and Colin Kaepernick. Mm. Um, so the question from that is, 
you know, what in 2018 and 2019, I suppose, are the do's and don'ts now for branding? Has this solidified a, or is this, um, is this re should this redouble our efforts? There's yeah. just so much stuff you could say about this, but one of them is that the days of being able to fool people are over. So you've just, you've, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, and financial advisors particularly will know this, you've got to win people's trust. So if you come out with stuff that you can't live up to, um, you, you, you're just not going to be able to sell anyone anything at the end of the day. And actually, what, um, one of the things that people are looking for at the moment, I think in general, in their brands, is something to, to hang their beliefs on. So there was a, um, a famous book, um, which your listeners will have read, called Eating Big Fish, I think, something like that, um, which was all about if you're a smallish company, and by, by that I mean a company with less than 200 employees, you're going to want to stand for something. It's called a, creating a lighthouse brand. But if you stand for something, then a good number of those people out there will stand for it too. And, 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 but don't do it inauthentically. So that's, that's one thing. It's all about trust. Um, just building on Michael's point about trust, I think the Facebook is a really perfect example of um, a company that time and time again has apologised and time and again, time again has been found to be uh, wanting mm. um, and it's not good enough. And the interesting thing about Facebook and that kind of technology that people did not understand years ago, um, baby boomers or, for example, my mum had no idea how, for example, uh, ads are retargeted, mm. found it very... Um, confusing how when she was googling something um i don't know doing a search on something like um let's say yellow football boots and then she'd be retargeted with yellow football boots etc and she'd mm. see this all over facebook and i think what we're going to see now in 2019 and brands need to be really aware of this is that more and more people are asking questions about how stuff works mm. and you can't hide anymore between you can't hide and it's the same with finance you can't hide behind the jargon and technology is doing exactly the same thing as finance it needs to clean its up its act mm. People do understand what Facebook does and they are understanding more and more about their data because of the GDPR. Mm. Um, so just like Michael says, it's, uh, it's inexcusable now. Yeah, and there are some really practical points about what Amy's just saying, which is, for example, don't blast out an email disingenuously to people whose email addresses you had in some filing cabinet somewhere um, because it will... What's the word that for annoy people? Yeah, annoy people. Annoy people. So I always use a rude word for that. For that. Yeah. I was to annoy people. So it will, it will annoy people. But that's something that a lot of people we talk to, they still do it. So just don't do stuff like that. Interestingly, actually, you touched on it now, and I know we talked about this earlier, GDPR, it feels like we had, just personally, all, all my, my inbox was nice and clean for about three weeks yeah. and those emails are creeping back well not creeping i think they've doubled they've redoubled them i mean there's a lot i imagine there's a lot of businesses out there who were thinking oh gdpr that means emails we're not sending out emails we better start sending out emails you know so i'm actually getting more yes yeah. it's, it's actually sort of swamped rather than swamped the marketplace yeah. rather than cleaned it up um this leads on very nicely to my next question which is the so what question, you know, uh, listeners are advisors, perhaps compliance people, uh, people in asset management, uh, maybe some policy wonks. Um, you know, so what? So there's, a, there's advisors out there that they hear about this tech stuff, they hear about sort of fintech, they hear about marketing, they think, well, is that really of any relevance to me in my sort of Surrey small boutique firm and my 200 clients who also they're affected by it but indirectly, but they don't come to me asking about this question. And I know I serve them well, so the so what question applies. Um, this is a particularly interesting one given 
the topic of acquisition, because we know that there are huge advice businesses out there that are buying small ones. And I wonder whether the advisors are there just thinking, well, technology, I'm going to sell in two years, or I'm, I'm hopefully just going to retire and someone else can, I'll find a good fit for my clients, someone else can look after them. Should they be thinking more about investing in technology, even at the late stage in their perhaps ownership or running of a company, so that it increases the value of their company and so that there's perhaps less of a, uh, an integration problem with the big firm that comes along. And Are you writing this down, Amy? This is a long question. But, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm going to jump in there, or you're going for another two hours. But um, the, the, there's, a, there's a fundamental point here, and I'm going to say something really honest that I think probably uh, Amy will disagree with, or certainly separates both of us if I we agree <laughs> from a lot of others. But actually, if you're a smallish company and you're in your 60s running it, and all your clients are in their 60s, and you, you know, and you don't want to sell it. You know, you're happy for this, this, this thing to disappear after you retire. Mm. Then fine, but that just isn't true of um, the, the vast majority of society. Mm. So to, to quote, I think it was um, the, the Borgs in Star Trek. Um, their catchphrase was "Resistance is futile." Mm. Um, was it "Resistance is futile"? Or was that the Daleks? But um, the 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 fact is. People are using technology and you've got your head in the sand if you think they're not. So, and again, we, we're going to talk about things like Facebook a lot, but my mum and dad use technology and they're real Luddites. Um, I'm sure yours do, Ollie. Um, I, I know your mum does, Amy. Um, I know your dad doesn't. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it, it's futile pretending that people aren't getting more and more into technology and doing everything in their lives um, you're using technology for, for almost everything from dating to, to getting recipes um, to, to programming their TV to, to moving from their front room into their car and they, you know, they can hear the music in their car that they had on their in their front room, all that sort of stuff. So, so just realise that it's happening mm. and understand where you as a firm fit into this. And the way you fit into it is that you have to offer what you offer using very usable, friendly, fun and even gamified, if you like, technology. And this is really interesting in financial advice because um, there's a whole load of apps uh, from cash flow modeling um, through to risk profiling that are actually now getting increasingly fun to use. They're like Donkey Kong or you know, some war game that everyone uses. They're really fun to use. So you'll find that the market for financial advice, it will grow because people will start becoming interested in this technology. So financial advisors particularly, and probably all the others that you mentioned, need to get on top of that. Mm. You wrote an article for us, didn't you, about this sort of saying... I know, cobbled something together. You cobbled something <laughs> together. In fact, you know, let's just go back to my notes here. Um, you wrote an article for us that featured the most unashamedly meta-hipster opening line I have ever read, uh, which reads as follows. You used to know where you were with, where you were at with conversations in hipster joints. You could enthuse about post-current experimental tribal funk, debate the merits of reclaimed f wood furniture, bid your companion mucho smucho and leave. Mucho smucho. Mucho. Come on, Ollie. Come, have you never been to Brighton? Um, I have. That's how we speak. Really? Yeah, it's a whole new language. I'm never going. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Um, are you into tribal funk? I don't even know what it is, but when I when I wrote that article, I thought, what's the most Brighton thing I can imagine? It's not it's probably not even a genre. Is it a genre? I bet you it does exist. Right. It will be. Um, the question is, um, so what you were writing about was basically uh, the tech revolution for advice firms, where advisors get on board, but also engaging consumers well as well. Yeah. And that, that has to be a sort of 
has to be something that occurs at the same time. Yeah. Um, else the market will become too saturated among sort of yeah, there's two, too there's, few people. There's some simple maths at play here. Um, and uh, that article wasn't just aimed at financial advisors. It was also aimed mm. at suppliers of tech to financial advisors. Mm. So for the latter... There's so many of these companies coming into a very small market. There's only 25 FCA authorised financial, 25,000. <laughs> so you wouldn't have a podcast if it was 25. I always forget the word thousand. It's got me in so much trouble over my, in my lifetime. But um, it's got me some good stuff as well. But uh, I'll go into that later. But I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so... Um, the, the, the maths are, if you're, again, let's just say the, 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 the thing that I mentioned in that article was things like cash flow, modelling, apps. There's like 10 of them that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, cash Calc, for example. One of our clients, Advice Front, is running one. Um, there's, there's, I'm not going to list them all. But there's a small market there. So, so they need to think about growing the entire market of financial advice. And financial advisors, obviously, it's good for them if the entire financial advice market is grown as well. So how does it grow? You get people interested in financial advice. Mm. And I think a major, major way of getting people in financial, into financial advice that hasn't been tried yet is to show them really interesting ways that they can manage their money. So whether that's a budgeting app that's linked to your bank account, whether it's an app which shows you how much you'll have to spend on your favorite favorite leisure activity when you're 100 years old at the, at the way you're going, you know, or whether it's something that tells you that you could be headed for a, uh, for a sort of cliff edge situation if you don't increase your investments and savings. Those are things that people will be interested in if they look good and they're interesting to you. So again, this is what my, my big message to financial advisors is. If you're interested in um, growing a, a business that has a legacy um, when you die, and um, or, or a business that you want to sell, you've got to think about younger people. And if you th want to think about younger people, think about the ones who don't want or know that they need financial advice but love using tech. Mm. Um, let's talk about Advice Front. Jose Superco, um, who's one of your clients. Yeah. I mean, he we profiled him earlier this year, and he was talking about this sort of hybrid model of financial advice, where you have the, the traditional face-to-face -face element, and then. Uh, it's also sort of tech-enabled, shall we say. Um, he described that in typical Superco surfing terms as uh, the sweet spot of the wave. Uh, a lovely little phrase. Um, he got a lot of flack. Let's be honest. You know what? I mean, we were we we had we were discussing this earlier, Ollie. <laughs> and um, obviously, we have a, a keen eye on on the flack, any flack that a client might receive. Um, but we found that some of it and. Um, maybe all of it was from people who hadn't read the article completely mm. um, and had misinterpreted what he'd said because his words are are not that robo-advice is coming to crush you all and it's going to win, mm. which is obviously not what an advisor wants to hear. Mm. It was that the hybrid model is coming in and that's going to help you all do what you do best, which is talking to clients. But you have to embrace it. Yes. This is actually a core belief of our business, FOCO, um, it's that you cannot, you should not only think about tech when you're providing a financial service. You should be thinking, does this person need to talk to someone? So you've got a lot of these um, hybrid apps, whether they're advice or investment, um, that offer phone conversations with people or you know, sit down chats with people if there's enough money involved. But that's the, the big thing that Jose, going back to that, he, he pronounced it Jose, apparently, it's Portuguese. Oh, but I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be sending in a, a, yeah, a, yeah. a green ink letter. Is it red ink? Green. Anyway, but um, 
that yeah just think about both and that's his message it's we, we think the future of advice is about both and amy and i think that as well what more can we do to promote that message well how can we cut through the noise there because it seems to me there's a lot of whenever we do sort of polling at conferences or and and perhaps maybe that's not even the best way to do it because people in a scenario where there are hundreds of other people around them they sort of feel as though there's a bit of a well, they respond to behavioural bias in a sense. When we talk to them face to face, you know, off the record, when the microphones are off, yeah. they are a bit sceptical about, about technology. Well, let's call out, let's publicly call out the problems with technology. And, and again, Amy, I know you've got a lot to say about this, and, and I'll let you say it actually, but chatbots, Thank you. right? <laughs> oh, chatbots. Yeah, chatbots. Okay, um, the bane I, of our um, lives. Uh, yeah, and it's just not clever enough yet. And it's going to be a while, and I think um, no one would like to see them. Uh, replaced face-to-face um, -face financial advice. No, no, no one would. Mm. Um, but for, for example, my problem with Clio um, is Clio basically is plugged into my bank account. So every time I get paid, I get an update. Or every time um, I should pay someone else, etc., I get an update. Sometimes she updates me on things I really I would rather sh that she doesn't. Anyway, mm. she she's sort of messaging me through Facebook all the time. Um, but the problem is that she it's a budgeting app and um, I've got several like most people do I've got about six accounts with one bank and that's what I plugged it into yeah. and she can't possibly you've handle got that joint account your business account and your three secret accounts that you're not telling your husband yeah. about yeah no definitely okay. not so the problem there is it's just not clever enough uh, she can't budget for me because she's trying to budget for my business as well and it's just ludicrous comparing a business and personal accounts yeah. and I've asked them actually Really? The best thing about these apps are that you feel like you can talk to someone and you get immediate feedback. But a lot of the time, if that feedback is coming from a chatbot, it's just ridiculous. It, mm. It'll be something really anodyne and something that they just, they're just not there yet. So, so, so just bring it back to the question, as an industry, call that out, you know, and, mm. and talk at conferences and in magazine interviews and podcast interviews about why it's ridiculous. You know, and you'll find that better solutions will come through. So, for example, if you, I'm, I'm the last person to praise NatWest, which is my bank, but they're getting a bit better at realising that people don't necessarily always want to talk on the telephone, and um, but the that they that people don't trust chatbots either. So you can chat to NatWest through um, some kind of app on their website. You can talk to them on Twitter and they'll DM you stuff and they'll get the business people to ring you if you've got a business account. So there's a, there's a, there's a halfway house, but it only comes when we point out the problems. I also think another problem that the entire tech industry has, um, and it shares this with financial services, touches upon this earlier as jargon. So we get this a lot. We're working in communications. And one of our jobs is to simplify language. But we see a lot of complicated language, and, and it's not something that makes any sense to someone who's not working in tech. There are mm. a lot of words banded around uh, for tools in financial services that don't, and I'm sure now, because you're a journalist, obviously you'll, you'll get this too. Sometimes you think, is that what this product is? Or what, what, I mean, We've gone backwards as well since the fintech revolution happened, if you can call it a revolution. I mean, there's loads of tech bros out there using phrases like solution. artificial AI. Solution. Even, yeah. Everything's a solution. We just need, we need to call that out too. Mm. Is, I, I envisage this scenario where you're at a conference or, you know, I've been there, I was at an event at the Conservative Party conference recently about Bitcoin. And the amount of confidence in the room was worrying. Mm. You know, it was kind of like, you know, and I, I associate this with a very sort of specific 
historical and cultural period was sort of post-2010, where it was like, you know, Facebook had really taken off. Everyone was using it, and it was still cool for young people to use it. And it, mm. you could see, see just how confident all of these tech companies were. They were like, yes, we're going to do this. Yes, we're going to solve that. I feel like there's a maybe a marketing point here but for them, but generally, and in terms of their attitude towards how all this works, a little bit of humility, maybe, you know, that we're, yeah, well, we're not get, there on all Let's this. get back to Elon Musk, you know, um, a, a, that guy is the least humble guy in the world who's been promising all sorts for a long time, alongside saying the most outrageous things about people in caves in Thailand. Mm. But, you know, he, he's, he's a good example. And the, the brand of Silicon Valley, and I hope this doesn't happen to Silicon Roundabout in, in London, but Silicon Valley is completely toxified. It's tainted. Um, by the overpromising, mm. you know, and again, we, we've talked about it already. It, it's this idea of promising things that you're not delivering, like running your bank account through WhatsApp and Facebook. So don't promise it until it's coming. I don't mm. think financial advisors have anything to worry about. You only have to look at what the FCA has quite recently said this year about robo -advi advice not being up to scratch when yeah. you're looking at suitability, etc. Yeah, it's it's nowhere near. Yeah. Um, there. They don't need to worry about it, but what they do need to be considering is how it can make help them do their businesses. There's, there's so many tools out there to help you automate things that really are very dull indeed, let's be honest. Why would you want to hang on to that? Mm. It's like the equivalent of somebody saying, uh, I'd rather hand wash my clothes rather than stuck them in, stick them in the washing machine. It's just, it's just needless mm. in 2018. Mm. Let's talk about robo-advice because we had the FCA paper um, we've reported a story about, you know, robo-advisors sort of going to the FCA and saying, you know, we need more time, we need more space, we need more regulatory freedom. Mm. What, do you what do you think about that? Should, should the robo-advisors like, you know, Nutmeg, Wealthify, Evesta, should, th should they have a bit of sort of special regulatory treatment to allow them the, you know, a bit more room in the sandbox, for instance, yeah, lower, lower vetting processes? To it, it, there's fundamental principles that they have to that they must stick to, that all financial services firms must. So, you know, they have to be transparent. They have to, they must make people aware of, of the risks. But yeah, there should be, a, I, I think, um, a little bit of leeway around, for example, I mean, client communications is very important regulation. Perhaps, you know, that stops innovations in the way that technology solutions communicate with clients. And if something goes slightly wrong, with a, a new way of communicating. It could, we could even be talking about a chatbot or something like that. Mm. I would urge the FCA not to slap technology solutions on the risks on the wrists for things that aren't really badly penalising the consumer. So yeah, I do think there should be a bit of leeway. Mm. I also think uh, for these firms, um, it would be nicer if they had some more leeway with the people who are investing in them or the companies that invest in them. Because obviously those uh, investors are looking at all sorts of things like how many people are using your product, et cetera, yeah, sure. et cetera. They need to be given more leeway in, in testing, basically. Can they test their product for longer? Can they have um, a t two, three year period where where the consumers using their product know it's trial or something like that, uh, beta, etc. Um, and we've got to be able to make sure investors don't shy away from that. How do we do that? I don't, I don't know, because it's not just the regulator that we need to be worried about. It's mm. how long can those companies survive when they're testing? Mm. Well, if you look at Nutmeg, I mean, Nutmeg's loss last year was 9.3 million. It was growing. Didn't they spend that on posters at Victoria Station? <laughs> Well, one thing they have spent their money on is hoodies, because 
Every time we go to lunch, there's someone from Nutmeg crossing the road wearing a hoodie with I'm empowering the next generation of investors written on the back in big letters. And um, I mean, you know, we had Sean Port, their chief investment officer, in for a podcast earlier this year. Great guy, really interesting ideas, very enthusiastic, not at all head in the clouds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's a bit of a wobbly one. Yeah, I, I, think. I mean, I feel kind of sorry for them because, and he won't mind me saying this, but um, Anthony Morrow at Evesto, who you just mentioned, and who listeners will know, um, has spoken. Um, I should, probably shouldn't attribute this to him, just in case it wasn't him who said this. I'll say it. Um, Nutmeg um, was um, kind of a victim of its own innovation and its own earliness, mm-hmm. and that it laid, with movements like this, you need a, a big period of getting the, um, the first movers, the early adopters on board um, before you, you, you get anything close to interesting the whole of society. Mm-hmm. Um, Nutmeg have done all the hard work, and it seems to me like it would be possibly slightly unavoidable but nutmeg are the reason that I would guess most people know that you can invest and save on your phone. Now, nutmeg's probably the reason for that. That is hugely, hugely expensive. And you've got a second generation of investment apps coming in now, um, uh, building on that groundwork. So I, I don't want to be too hard on them. But y- yeah, a lot, a lot of the money has, has, has gone on marketing without there being an actual big return. Mm. But actually something interesting, although I, I naturally find the idea of giving your employees branded t-shirts uh, a, a little bit cringe, I have to say, they also made finance lovable again. Um, for millennials working in finance, they made it, you know, you, you can have a, a lovely working environment where yeah. we're a team and yeah. we post our team photos to the social media feeds. We're doing exciting things. We're bringing dogs into the office, whatever mm. whatever they're doing. Giving to charity. Charity. All things I might add Citywide does as well. I've done it for a very long time. Uh, not officially, no, but Steve Nelson, the sub for the Wealth Manager magazine, does have a <laughs> lovely dog called Frank. Hello, Frank, if you're listening. <laughs> um, yes, but that's that's a very interesting point. That is a very interesting point. Mm, okay. Um, do you mind if I ask, do you use robo-investors? Do you have like a nutmeg account? Or yeah, a... I mean, I've got an account, for example, with Oval Money, which is a savings um, account. I'll be honest, it's because we were we did a bit, a little bit of work for them uh, and I wanted to test it out, but I, I liked it. It was, I found it, uh, I mean, I think if you're in finance and you know about finance, most people aren't, then you're, gonna, you're more likely to head towards something like Hargreaves Lansdowne or something where you can have a bit more of a play. Mm. But um, apps like Oval Money work well uh, if you want to um, have a return that's higher than the, the non-existent interest rate. Um, and that y- you feel things are simple. So, yeah, I mean, uh, do you use any? Yeah, Money Farm. You use Money Farm? Okay. Um, How have you found it? I mean, I've only done it for three weeks. I took my money out of money box. I am an absolute, I, I've done the worst possible thing, Ollie. I had a, I was supposed to leave the money in for five years. I thought, I suddenly realized that the fees weren't something I was comfortable with in money box. Uh, t- took it out, obviously lost money, put it back into money farm. And now my task is not to look at it for the next five years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great investment advice. And, yeah. I should actually say at this point... <laughs> it's a confessional hour with Ollie Smith. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I should say at this point that every other Monday, Amy comes in looking ashen-faced and saying, <laughs> Michael, I don't have much money. You know that yet, but what shall I do with what I've got? It's, I think um, that's the problem with a lot of people. Like, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not in a bad way, but, you know, when you've only got a few grand... That's not for you to judge. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, 
Yeah, I don't have loads and loads to play with. Sure. So you spend more time deliberating over just a few grand than you might yeah. if you had ten to spare. Yeah, and nobody's worried. Could we get into what these? I mean, you probably were going to ask. Ah, sorry. Oh, Michael. It's the oldest trick. For listeners at home, Michael's phone is. Hello, good. darling. Um, I'm actually. You won't believe this, but I'm on a podcast. <laughs> Bye. That's absolutely. I'll fine. call you later. I'm being. I'm being serious. It's live. Michael. <laughs> sorry about that. I loved uh, how you were joking earlier that, that we would have this scenario where you said, yeah, they'll cut that out. Yeah. Well, are you going to cut that out? I don't know. I'm going to listen to it back. Olga <laughs> will help. We'll, we'll make an executive decision about whether that's funny enough to be included in the final version. Well, if it stays in, that's Helen, the most wonderful human being in the whole world. Okay. Um, Helen. No, but what I was going to say was the, the thing that these apps are good at is that they will educate you about the simple things that Amy was just kind of talking about there. What is it I need to think about? interest rates, risk, um, not having to look at my money or having to look at it. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll give you a good idea these days because they've all, they're all producing a fair bit of content mm -hmm. using businesses like ours um, quite often. Uh, and uh, they've got education as a big kind of um, powerful string in their bow to absolutely massacre a metaphor. Mm -hmm. I, just on the, uh, the, app, the app stuff, so I, I have an account with eToro. Mm. Um, trading app is the it? trading yeah. app, and um, so I downloaded that because uh, at the Bitcoin event that I went to at the Conservative Party conference, they gave away some free Bitcoin. So uh, it was twenty-one pounds worth of uh, Bitcoin, and in actual fact, I went up to the end, up to them at the end and said that I wanted to write an article about how I got on, and they actually gave me four of them. So the four math. Bitcoins, not four Bitcoins. Wow. It, it, what, how um, much is a Bitcoin worth now? I can't even remember. Oh, six thousand maybe. Six, it's, in, yeah. it's in the sort of yeah. mid to high thousand. Yeah. Um, and so I downloaded the app and I had this experience where I thought, oh my god, um, you know, this is a really clever app, but the basic settings are far too intrusive. I was, mm. I was getting push notifications mm. every hour saying that mining stocks had gone down, saying mm. that oil had gone up. Yeah. And I just thought, with my sort of social justice hat on, this is not a supportive um, system for someone who's heard about eToro online, yeah. has had that sort of impulsive moment when they think, oh, I can make loads of money trading off Bitcoin. Yeah. And that is the sort of thing that will lead to ruin for yeah. people because they'll see that and they think, oh God, you know, I, that means, they're telling me something, that means I should make a decision or change something. Now I'm sure the app has features that you can change and yeah. you can turn this off and turn that off, but as the basic model that people experience for the first time, I thought, hmm, okay. Okay, so what we, what we would always say is kind of a general answer to that is you're getting, as a, as a tech company with lots of customers, you're, you're getting reams of data. So you should be able to use that data to tailor experiences for a start. Um, you, you'll know how, 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 how people react when a push notification comes out, how many people will like that notification. But secondly, make it really, really easy for people to um, set those notifications when, when you start up. You know, and build, make, make it that, that, that to get more and more push notifications and emails and what have you, people have to proactively add to those options and that they don't just get thrown out to them. Mm. Yeah, there is actually um, a campaign running at the moment. It has been for a while. I think it's by, and I apologies, I've got the whole name wrong, but Money, uh, Money and Mental Health Institution, yeah. mm. uh, where they are working with businesses like tech 
just just apps to say you know reduce the notifications or are you examining the amount of notifications are you they work with betting companies as well should you really be sending out your emails at three mm. in the morning when you're yeah when you know, people are likely to be out. exactly well actually also when people with insomnia which can be related to mental health issues are um, sat at their computers do they really yeah. need to be getting that messaging so yeah it's it's not it's not just about personification it's about uh, sorry, personification, mm. personalization. It's about ethics, mm. uh, absolutely. Ethics, here's the final question. Um, ethical investing is, a, you know, is increasing in popularity. It's people's awareness of it is increasing. We found at NMA that even the last few months, it's shot up the agenda quite dramatically. We don't anticipate any change in that in 2019. Um, it's becoming hip. FinTech is very hip. Mm. Is there a good relationship between fintech and ethical investing or can we do more, do you think, to join the two up? And It, it could go either way. I mean, what fintech does is it makes it easy um, to access and, and theoretically to understand ways of, of, of growing your money or of saving your money. Mm. So there isn't necessarily a, a, an absolute link between the two. Just because you're a really good fintech, it doesn't mean you're ethical. Um, so, but... Um, I think if people in general are becoming a bit more moral about how they um, spend and save their money, um, then then it will be easy for fintechs to provide solutions, ethical solutions, because the, the, being a fintech company is all about un gathering and understanding data. Yeah, but alongside the um, what we have noticed, and this is actually with when we were working with Oval, is that they released a, a slew of products, uh, ethical funds that um, were geared towards, for example, promoting women in, board, uh, in boards, et cetera, mm. on boards, sorry. Um, and I think what you'll see is, yeah, the, the, the increasing ability for a consumer, just a normal person on the street, to be able to invest in ethical funds very easily, mm. very understandably through an app, a nice friendly looking app, rather than having to search out solutions or go to a financial advisor, because it was, incredibly niche like 10 years ago wasn't it yeah yeah and i think also culturally the people who were really practicing it and advocating for it they're dismissed as crackpots just in the same way that you know swampy was in the 90s yeah. when he appeared on have i got news for you but the, the the idea of ethical investing has grown um insofar as you can now invest in something not just that is deemed to be ethical um so for example veganism um, you can invest in something that you believe in. So if you believe that there should be dogs allowed in the workplace, you can invest in a basket of shares of companies that allow dogs in the workplace. So, so ethical investing these days, as I said, it's more, they're, they're interested in what people's core beliefs are, which is interesting. And actually, if you're talking about that kind of how easy it is for someone to do it, it's crowdfunding as well, isn't it? It's somebody, yeah. it's, it's the brew dog moment where you, yeah. you decide you really love that product, you're just going to put some money into it and not really risk that much at all. But you're saying, I believe in this product or I want this product to be developed, not necessarily the brew dog, but you'll see that happening all the time. Mm. One final point that I would that I just add, um, and this is a plug for Charles Wormsley, our anime news editor. He made a very, very good point online, I think last week or the week before, where he said, you know, that people are still approaching ethical investing with this goal of getting, you know, similar returns. Um, and I think as far as branding goes and, and messaging goes, there needs to be more on the fact that when you invest ethically, you know, one of the things that you're getting in return for a lower, for a lower return, in effect, is, is a planet. It's yeah. it's a planet that's still functioning in, you know, in the ten years that we have left to 
to fix the climate change problem. You're buying a warm, fuzzy feeling, and that is absolutely um, th that is invaluable. If we could feel warm and fuzzy every day for the rest of our lives, we'd spend as much money as it took, wouldn't we? Mm. So um, you're absolutely right. It, it, the the um, I don't know how difficult it's going to be to get the message out that it's not all about financial returns, because actually. Um, the younger, let's talk about millennials again, the, the younger um, part of that demographic, they really are kind of um, a bit less interested, I think, in making loads and loads of money. And they're, they're more interested in feeling good about about the future and about the way they're conducting themselves. Well, I the, might be wrong, but that's the feeling I get. They're the experienced generation. They spend more money on wine than they do on houses, obviously. Mm. Well, no, not like the like. But... Um, they're not buying houses, they're, they're buying wine. Wasn't that, am I quoting your podcast from last week? I think uh, I am. Well, yeah, it, yes, you are, <laughs> sort of paraphrasing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so Eliza was saying, oh, drop my phone. Uh, Eliza was saying that, uh, you know, a client of hers was surprised to learn that, you know, millennials were spending a lot of money on, on wine and good quality wine as opposed to just, you know, your standard Lambrini from the corner shop. That's all about marketing as well, though, mm -hmm. isn't it? Because um, the, ma the message there, by the way, sorry if this isn't a bit of an aside, is that you spend, there's a huge amount of tax, which we weren't told. When I was at university, you just bought a £5 bottle of wine, but you're only getting £1 worth of, of wine and spending £4 or whatever it is on tax. You buy a £10 bottle, you're paying the same amount of tax, but you're getting a lot more wine. If you yeah. So the reason I say that, that's a very sort of <laughs> bit of a, a side issue, but the point is that um, these things are often all about just getting a simple message out to people. Hmm. And I, you know, people are receptive. You know, yeah. I, I think people are receptive. And I think, you know, Eliza was saying this. That you have a generation. There are differences between millennials and Gen Zers because Gen Zers are you perhaps more sceptical in a way. Um, but they're both incredibly receptive, and they they and I was saying this. They don't. They they can smell bullshit. Yeah. But you know what? They're not receptive to much more than at any time in history. Is buy our product. It's good. You know, believe in our company, it's good. Mm, where's the proof? Um, and this is kind of what's, sorry to talk about us again, but this is what we're always telling companies, is think about what the people you're dealing with believe in and how they see the world. And if that kind of fits with what you're doing, then talk about that thing, you know. And, and so that's a very vague way of putting at it, it, putting it. And marketers call it storytelling sort of theory. But you've got to hit people in their core beliefs make them feel some kind of emotion um, if you want to communicate with them. Mm. It's as simple as that. And the reason for that is that there are 11,000 good investment apps saying that they're amazing. Mm. Any more for any more? Well, fabulous. Um, thank you for coming in. It's been really, really good having you here. Um, we're just about all out of time for this week, but I would just say that if you have any comments or thoughts or ideas based on what you've heard today, do send them to us. We're always keen to hear them. Uh, and don't forget, of course, to subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling really, really generous, I'll keep saying this, but I won't stop. Leave us a review. We need reviews. Hopefully they'll be positive. Five um, star. Five star. Five star. Absolutely. Only. Five stars. Um, until next time, thanks and goodbye.